Okay, back, back to that psalm. Have you found Psalm 122? Let me give you a reminder. We're looking at the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are a group of psalms within the whole book of psalms, the book of psalms, 150 of them. Um, songs, poems of the people of God that have much relevance for us today. But Psalms 123 to 134 are known as the Psalms of Ascent. And they were a songs sung by the people of God as they traveled to Jerusalem for one of the three major festivals. In the Word of God, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it was laid down in the law that the people of God would gather in Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate a festival of God's grace and love for them. There was the the festival festival of unleavened bread or the Passover. There was the festival of weeks or Pentecost. And there's a festival of booth or tabernacles. And three times a year they would travel to Jerusalem and they would sing these songs on the way. And they're known as the Psalms of Ascent. And the Ascent was to do with them ascending up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on a hill, and then the temple itself, where God's presence was, was on the temple mount in Jerusalem. There was that ascending, that going up. And these songs cover many facets of life, the highs and the lows. So they weren't only applicable to the pilgrims back then that would have sung them, they're very much applicable to us now, and they they really are a playlist for our life. Like our modern pop songs that cover so many kind of uh, feelings about life, the highs and the lows, these two speak to us in the same way. And this set of 15 psalms can be further broken down. I've put this up the last couple of weeks. We just have a look at the structure of the psalms of ascent. What they can be broken down to is little groups of three, little trios. And the first one in the three is a situation of stress, Psalm 120. We've looked at that. That's how the the series began. Then we had Psalm 121, the Lord's power to deliver. And then we're now on to Psalm 122 where they actually get to Jerusalem. And then next week we'll go back to Psalm 123 and it'll probably be more stress and distress. So we're in Psalm 122 today. And we have named our psalms, uh, these sermons after songs. The first week, does anyone remember what we had first week? When the going gets tough, 1987, Billy Ocean. What was last week? Help, which was the Beatles back to 1965, so we went old and then really old. This week, right up to date. So can we roll that? It's not Lil Mix, no. Okay, take me home by Jess Glynn. Give me a year. A year? This is, it's from the tenties. Fifteen, who said that? Do you look in on your phone, sir, or you just know that? You know that, you're just that. Jess Glynn, 2015, Take Me Home. So the title of today's sermon is Take Me Home. Now, I don't know if you've ever been away from home gone on a trip or something, gone away. I had the privilege of going over the summer for a few days. We traveled to South Africa to uh, meet with the guys at Live Village and spend some time down there. And it was a wonderful time being away. But when we got to the point where it was, okay, we've got to travel back, it was a wonderful feeling because I knew I was returning home. We had a long flight. We had two flights. You had to connect in Dubai and then fly out. So we spent a lot of time on the plane 
But all the time I was thinking about going home. I was about being back with my family in my house that I'd missed, that I'd been away from. And that sense of returning home is what we're going to look at here in Psalm 22 when the pilgrim arrives to their, back to their spiritual home, which is Jerusalem. So I'm now going to read the psalm. If we can put the psalm up, I'll take us through. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now the structure of this psalm follows on. We've had a psalm of distress, Psalm 120. We had a psalm 121 of the Lord's deliverance, which Sarah read out this morning during the worship. And now the pilgrim who's traveling to Jerusalem finally reaches his destination, where he's gone. And the psalm can be split into three sections. We've got verses 1 and 2, which is about the journey to Jerusalem. We've got verses 3 and 5, which kind of remember back to the historic, um, historical sort of setting of Jerusalem. And then the final section is about prayers for the city of Jerusalem. And the focus of this psalm is Jerusalem. It comes up three times. I think it's actually four it's mentioned. But it's in each of the three sections. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is the focus of the psalm. And what can we learn about the city of Jerusalem from this psalm? Well, there's, I'll do this quick. There's six things I want to quickly run through that we can pick out from this psalm about the city of Jerusalem. The first one, verse 1, verse 2, and also, if you look at the end, verse 8, it bookends the psalm. What's the most important thing about Jerusalem? It's the place where God dwells. The place where God dwells. It uses this phrase, the house of the Lord, the beginning and the end of the psalm, say the same thing. This is the focus. It's all about where God's presence with. And the psalm begins with the psalmist having a brief recollection. It's saying that someone said to me, we need to go up to Jerusalem. Let's go to the house of the Lord. What was the response of the psalmist, it says? In my translation, it says they were glad. They were glad. There was something joyful about them. There was something that was a good thing. The guy says, we've got to go to Jerusalem to go to the temple where God's presence is. And the response of the pilgrim is, that is a good thing. That is a joyful thing. That is something I am glad about. I want to do that. And so they head towards Jerusalem. And the focus of the entire city is the house of the Lord, which is the temple where God's presence dwelled. And the story of God's people has always been about God's presence being amongst them. Again, in the beginning, in the garden, God's presence was with his people there. Then it all went wrong. It all went wrong, and sin came, and man was pulled out. And then God came to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make your descendants like this mighty nation. And we follow the line of Abraham, and Abraham's Isaac, who has Jacob, who has 12 sons, and they go down into Egypt, they grow into this mighty nation. And then God's presence comes to a man named Moses in the burning bush, and he says, you go, tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and I will go with you. My presence will be with you. And the people of God then come out of Egypt, they come through the Red Sea, they go to Mount Sinai, what happens? The presence of God falls on the mountain. 
God speaks from the mountain. He gives the law. God's presence there. And he says, build a tent in the midst of you as you camp in the wilderness. And my presence will be there in that tent. So they build a tabernacle. And it's all very ornate and very particular how it must be built. But God's presence comes in the middle of it. And then later, when they settle the city of Jerusalem... David has it in his heart. King David says, I'm going to want to build a temple. His son Solomon actually builds the temple. And in the middle of the temple, God's presence dwells in the most holy place. And so God's presence is there in the temple. And that was the focus of the city. That's what marked the city out as special. God's presence was there. And there is a gladness in the, uh, the psalmist saying, we're going to go up to the city of God. We're going to go up to Jerusalem because God himself is there. God's presence is there and we can go and worship him. What's the next thing we learn about this city? Verse 3, it says, it is a place of refuge. It says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. Again, Jerusalem is mentioned. So this is the focus of the psalm and it describes it as built as a city firmly bound together and it's It's basically describing it as a place of safety, a place of protection, a place that someone can go into and feel safe. If hostile forces came, if enemies came, people would retreat to the city, get inside the walls. There would be a place of safety there. They could find protection that you can't out in the kind of countryside. There's no protection. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. But actually, if you come inside the city... You will be there. And God himself is his presence there. He will protect his people. The Old Testament is full of those kind of statements that God will look after, protect his people. We even saw that in the previous psalm, Psalm 121. So a reminder, we've sung Psalm 121 on our way to Jerusalem. We've now got to Jerusalem. We'll sing this psalm and remind ourselves that God is the one who looks over us. God is the one who protects us. The next thing we find is it is a place of unity. Verse 4. It says, which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks for the name of the Lord. The tribes going up is a reference to the whole people of God. God came to Abraham, as I just mentioned, and said, I'm going to bless your descendants. They're going to become like a mighty nation. He had a son, Isaac, who had a son, Jacob. Jacob, in turn, had 12 sons. From there, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. These tribes, these are God's People And they are unified because of their common ancestry with Abraham and the promises God gave Abraham, which they then carry down. They're part of, despite living in a land in diverse places, different roles, different functions within God's people, they are all one people. And in the word of God, the law that was given on Mount Sinai, one of the things was you will all gather together in Jerusalem three times a year and celebrate these feasts that I put together and you will recognize that you are one people under one God. And the purpose of these um, festivals was to praise the name of the Lord, give thanks to him, recognize what he's done. If you look at some of the, um, the festivals themselves, like the Passover, that was designed to remind people of what God had done in bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. It was a, a constant reminder, year on year, this is what I've done for you. I've, I've looked after you, I've protected you, I've redeemed you brought you out of slavery, and so they would come together and they would praise the name of the Lord. He would give thanks to the name of the Lord. It even says in the Old Testament, way back in the law, it said God would pick out a place. The Lord would recreate, recreate a city where his name would dwell, which was in turn Jerusalem. And so they're just going back there to enjoy his presence, be one people, recognize that, and then give praise to his name. The fourth thing we find, it is a place of justice. 
verse 5, it says, Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Now, these thrones are actually referenced in 1 Kings 7, verse 7, that King Solomon built uh, kind of an extension to his palace, this place uh, where there was a great hall and there were thrones set up where officials could pronounce um, uh, kind of decrees on certain areas or rule in legal disputes on matters of, of, of kind of life um, and proclaim the law of God to people. And so it's a place of justice. Jerusalem was the center of political kind of life and things that would go out from there under the kings, under the rulers of Israel. It was their responsibility there to pronounce justice in terms of the defending the rights of the poor and the foreigner and the outcast. And so this is what they remind, this is what Jerusalem is. It's the center of where justice would go forth, where God's law would be proclaimed, where God's law would be outworked that would affect the nation as a whole and people would be looked after. The reference to the house of David is a reference to the line of kings that ruled from Jerusalem. David was the start of that, and then under that his sons and so on and so forth ruled from Jerusalem. And it's a picture of God's justice going forth and things just being in right order and done well. The next thing we find, verse 6, it is a place of prayer. A place of prayer, a place of talking to God, a place of communicating with God, of pouring out your heart to God. It begins, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The the city of Jerusalem was a place of prayer where the pilgrims would go to the house of the Lord. They would worship, but they would also pray to God. They would bring their requests to God. And that is what he had called them to do. As they gathered, they would worship, they would pray. And we find even later when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, many years after that, and he comes into the temple and he is incensed at what he sees, the money lenders trying to extort people and so on and so forth, and he turns over their tables and what does he say? This will be a house of prayer for the nations. He says it's a house of prayer. That's what this place should be. That's the folks of it. They will come there and speak to God. The last one, it is also a place of peace, a place of peace. That last section is dominated by the word peace that comes up again and again. Even the name Jerusalem means city of peace. It would be a place of peace. That's what the, uh, the city would be around. It's a place where there would be harmony, not just free from hostility, No wars as such, no fighting. The word there is much deeper than that, shalom. It means a well-being in life in all its aspects, not just the absence of war. And the people are told to pray for peace, but they are then told to live out their peace. It's a reference there of brothers and companions in that section. If you're going to have true peace, you need to have peace also with those around you, peace with your neighbors. It's a, it's a collective thing, not just an individual thing. And so there needs to be pray, uh, peace amongst one another, and there should be prayer for that peace as well. is isn't something you just you wish for, you pray for it as well, but that's, there should be harmony amongst God's people, harmony in that city, um, because the presence of God there, and that is what he's asked there. And then finally, he just adds on there, he says that we are to seek the good of that city. Seek the good of that place. Seek the good of there as we go to the house of the Lord where God's presence dwells. So we've come back to where we started at the beginning. It's a place of God's dwelling. So this was where the pilgrim was heading. This is what they were looking forward to. I can imagine now why they were glad. 
He said, let's go to Jerusalem. That sounds like a good place to go. If all those things are happening, that sounds like worthwhile traveling there and being there. And so that's what the pilgrim was going. They were heading up to this wonderful place. But what does that mean for us now? As New Testament believers, many miles removed, many hundreds, thousands of years removed from what that is. Well, there's two aspects of this Jerusalem that we need to look at today. The first one is our present home. Our present home. We are pilgrims on a journey, the Bible says. We are heading somewhere, but we have a home along the way. It's no longer the city of Jerusalem. It's no longer the temple there. That was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans. Jesus even predicted it would happen if we read our Gospels. This is going to come. But Jesus also said that actually there's going to be a new Israel. And it's going to be made up of people from every tribe and every nation. It wouldn't just be restricted to the ethnic descendants of Abraham. It would have a much wider and broader application. There'd be men men and women from every tribe and every nation who have faith and trust in Jesus and have put their hope in him and him alone. And they will become part of a new family of God, an extended family of God. And they would be part of an earthly home here on earth. And it was called the church. It's called the church. And Jesus created this body of believers where his presence dwells by his spirit. The Bible says that if you're a believer, the presence of God dwells within you, dwells within his church. It describes us as living stones being built together in a holy temple as believers of God. It's no longer about a building or a place as such, but about people, the people of God. The church is also a home of refuge where we are loved and served and comforted and looked after. And when we're in pain and we're in strife or in trouble, we have others around us who serve us and care for us. And in turn, we do the same for them. And it's a place for the refuge, for the broken, the hurting, the orphan, the outcast, the distressed. Come to the church and we will love you and care for you. It's a home of unity. We are one body with one head, Jesus Christ. When we serve the bread and the wine and we share it in our life groups in expression that there was one death for all, once, one time only, and we all share the same body and the same bread. No matter where we are in this world or which local church we're a part of, we're all part of one body under Christ. We've all been saved by grace through faith. There's nothing special about any one particular. You haven't earned your salvation. You haven't added to it in any way. It's all come through God's grace to you. And you alone. We're also a home for justice, where we serve the needs of the poor and the outcasts, where we speak against tyranny outside, where we say that is wrong and that's not the way it should be, where we stand up and, and challenge things that go against God's way, and inside it we, we act justly towards one another, how our dealings are and how we care for one another. The church is a home of prayer, where we call out to God for our needs and the needs of others. We call out to God to bring glory to his name, to forgive us for our sins, to praise him for all the wonderful things he's done. And uh, the church is a home of peace, where God's peace guards our heart and minds, but we seek to work out that peace with one another, where we seek to live in harmony with one another, where we forgive one another again and again and again, work out our differences, 
keep working and serving together. Forgive those around us. And while we're on this earth, this is our home. This is our spiritual home, the church. This is where we are connected. This is where we are best loved and known. This is where we should all be as believers. But no matter how good the church is on earth, it's never perfect. It's never going to be the best it can be because we have a future home we're looking forward to. And this psalm points to a better Jerusalem, a better place. If you read in Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4, you find this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This new Jerusalem, this future home that we get to look forward to, is an eternal home. And it's an eternal home where God dwells with man forever. That's what that verse said, isn't it? He will be with them forever. It is an eternal home of refuge because there's going to be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears and no more death because the old order has passed away. And all the things in this life that bring us hurt and pain will be gone and we will be in that place. It's going to be an eternal home of unity because there will be members of all tribes and nations and people and tongue and they will all come together and they will worship the Lamb who was slain on the throne. And they will all stand together and we will all give our praise to King Jesus forever and ever. It's an eternal home of justice because God's perfect rule reigns from that place. There'll be no longer, there'll be no longer um, uh, tyranny, there'll be no longer injustice, there'll be no longer things that can hurt and push us down in that way because God will rule. God will reign perfectly and everything will be righteous and everything will be good. It's an eternal home of prayer because we will see God face to face and we will get to speak to him and be with him forever. It's an eternal home of peace because there'll no longer be strife or disharmony. And we celebrate what we've got now as the church and we enjoy that but we actually keep our eyes firmly fixed on the future that we are heading one day to a new Jerusalem that's going to be better than we can ever imagine so much more than the church can be now now no matter how great you think the church is now and I love this church I've been a part of it since it began I've been an elder and a pastor in three churches and hands down by a country mile you are my favorite Absolutely, I love being part of the church. Even in the mess that happened this morning, you know, when we're, you know, at eight o'clock you get the call, the school's not open, the, the food van's turned up, what are we going to do? We don't get in here till quarter to ten, and it's just like, ah! We had texts after texts of people coming through saying, whatever you want, we'll be there. We're all coming early, we're bringing the whole family. We had group leaders saying, if we have to cancel the meeting, we'll run group in our house and we'll cover everyone. Everyone's going to get looked after. And we didn't even ask for that, that just... That just happened. You are a beautiful, wonderful group of people, and I love leading you as a church. But guess what? There's something better coming. 
so even better than you. Can you believe that? There's something even better than you. Even better than me. Man, how amazing is that? That's what we get to look forward to. There is something, a future home for us to look forward to that is going to be beyond anything we can ask or imagine. So let me finish with just a couple of questions just to earth this and then we're going to worship God and give thanks to him. First one. Have you chosen your earthly home? Have you chosen your earthly home? Have you found the place that is your spiritual home while you're here on earth? Have you found it? Or are you just playing around? Are you just, do you treat church as something you just kind of, you can pick and choose in and out. We'll see if this works for now. If not, I'll try the other one down the road. I'll go here in the morning, there in the evening. I'll just, you know, I'll stay on the edge. I won't commit. It won't cost me much. I'll, I'll see what I can get out of it. Have you chosen your home? Because you need to find one. There needs to be a place where it's your home. And I can tell you totally unbiased, this is the place it should be. This is by far the best for you. I would love you to make this your home. But if it's not, find it. Make it your mission. Make it, that is the only priority I have for the next few weeks and months, to find a place that I can call home while I'm here on this earth for this season of my life. That I can be connected, that I can be known by other believers, that I can get into the community and serve and love, that I, that I can give and just be part of it, that I can get under leadership and listen to the teaching, whatever it is, do it. Do not put it off. There are people even here now, you've been with us a few weeks and you're still sitting on the edge dipping your toe in. Make a decision. Call it. If it's us, brilliant. Get involved. If it's not, leave. Find somewhere else. Go there. Make it your commitment. Don't come back next week if you're still like, eh, make a call. And if it's not us, that's fine. I don't mind. We'll, we'll help you find somewhere. But you need to find somewhere. And here's the best. But you need to find there. If you are deciding this is your, this is your place, get in. If you live in any home, any home I've lived in, either when I was growing up or now running my own one with my family, There are things you've got to do. You've got to get involved. You can't be a passenger. You can't sit on the edge. My parents wouldn't let me. When I was growing up, we had chores. We had jobs. We had to help out on what we were doing. Now we've still got to do it. With our home, we just get the kids involved. They've got to do stuff. We've got to do stuff to make it run. If you're part of this church, move in. Get comfortable. Get known. Get in a life group. That's the number one thing we say. If you're not in a life group, we we can't look after you. We won't look after you because that's where we want you to be. Because if you're there, then we can look after you. We can make sure that someone's looking out for you. Someone's praying for you. Someone's helping you. Someone's meeting the needs you've got. They'll do what they can. If you're with us, get in a life group. Get connected. It doesn't mean you've got to go every week. Because I know shift work, couples, it doesn't work. Babysitting. Mel and I, we alternate um, for, to go to group. That's fine. But there's a place that we're known. A place that we're connected in our groups. If you're part of this church, get involved in serving and helping and making this whole thing run. Depending on your gifts and your skills and your age, you know, there are lots of different areas we can do. Kids work and youth work and the AV and the band and the hosting team and life group leadership. There's so many things we can do, as well as all the informal things that just happen. Just get involved. Giving. 
God's got a lot to say about your money. We did a series about it about a year ago called What's in Your Wallet. Listen to that. This is a place, if this is your place, this is your home, it should be responding to your finances, giving to have, make all this work. We get no money from anywhere else but from our members, and they are an incredibly generous bunch. If you're part of us, join in, get involved, help us make all this work. I challenge you, make a choice. Where is your home? If you know it's here and you've made it, thank you. Make it again today and say, God, I'm in. This is my home. I'm going to do what I can to make this work while I'm here until you call me on somewhere else. The last one. Are you ready for your future home? Are you ready for your future home? If you're not a believer here and you don't follow Jesus, you don't proclaim to be a Christian, I can answer that very clearly for you. You're not ready. You might think you're not ready. You're not ready because as well as the promise of God that it's going to be an incredible place to go, he also makes a very promise that he will judge all of us by our actions. And that's terrible news for everybody because we all fall short. We will all fail his test because we're all rebelled. We've all belittled God. We've all turned away from it. The Bible just calls that sin. And sin is not nice, good, ooh, naughty stuff. The world tells you sin is bad. It's horrific. It's rebellion against the holy and righteous God, and we are all guilty. The good news is, Jesus came, he died on the cross in our place for our sin, and we can find forgiveness and grace if we fall on his mercy and say, God, forgive us. We want to follow you, we want to commit to you. But if you're not a believer here, you need to do that. Because right now, you're not heading to a good home, you're heading to a very bad one. And that's just the reality. And so you need to turn to Jesus, you need to put your faith and trust in him. He loves you. He wants you. He wants to meet with you today. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk about what that means. But that's what you need to do. If you're a believer here, are you ready to go? Are you, really, are you ready to go? Are you living your life now in such a way that if you had to go, you'd think, no regrets? I'm living, I'm doing what God called me to do. I'm living out what he's called me to do. Are you living with your focus on the next life as primary? Are you using what God has given you here and now for his kingdom in this place with an eye at the end? Jesus said very clearly, he said, store up treasures in heaven. Not on earth. He said, store them up in heaven. Use whatever you've got now, whatever he's given you, whatever skills and talents and job and giftings and money and possessions for his glory and his kingdom, first and foremost. Are you living that now? Take an inventory of your life. Take about, think about your work, what you do with your, most of your time. Ben shared about his job, what he was doing there. Are you using that for God's glory and God's kingdom? Are you focused on that thinking, you've given me this, how are you using me in this place? Are you making a good, a good impact on your workplace? Are you trying to be good news to your boss and your colleagues and your clients and your customers and those you serve, your patients and your students? Are you actually looking at it thinking, this is my ministry field, this is what God has given to me, this is where I spend all my time? While I'm awake at least, just, Lord, use me in this place. Are you praying for that? What about how you use your money and your possessions? Do you give? Are you, are you giving faithfully? Are you giving begrudgingly? Are you giving at all? Are you, are you using that to serve others? 
your home, your possessions, and what you give, and your time, your energy, everything that God's given you, are you using that to serve Him and Him first and foremost? Are you committing to those things? Are you looking to serve the poor and the needy around you? God will bring them across your path day by day and things, little things, big things. Are, you, are your eyes open to hear that? Because that is what God has called us to. He has not called us to enjoy and consume everything we have now on ourselves. He's told us to live with a new home in mind, an eternal home, a future home. We're to have our, our eyes on that first and foremost. We have a new Jerusalem to look forward to. And God says, live with that in mind. I'm going to finish. Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray. Can the band come back up? <laughs> we're going to, I'm just going to pray. Lead us in a little bit of response. Then we're going to sing. So maybe you want to close your eyes. Open your hands. Ask the Holy Spirit just to come. Speak to you. Fill you. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I want to thank you that to meet with you, we don't have to travel to a city hundreds, hundreds of miles away. We can do it right here and right now. Lord, we thank you that your presence was with us. Even though we couldn't get in the building, (laughs) you were already here waiting. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus, today. And Lord God, I pray you come by your spirit and you fill us now, that we would be known as a place where you dwell in our own lives, but in us as a gathered body of the church. Lord God, we want to say we love you, we praise you, Lord Jesus. Lord, if you're not a believer here and you know that you need to do something about it, I just I encourage you now to pray to God, reach out to him, confess that you need him, the things you've done in your life. We'd love to chat with you and pray with you. We can come down the front. We'd love to talk to you. Grab us at the end. If you are a believer here, God, I'm just going to pray that you would be led by God's Spirit to find your home on this earth. The home that you need to be a part of. The church body that you need to be a part of. For most of you, it's this one because you're here. For some of you, it may be other ones. You might be visitors. It's lovely to have you with us. But I want to pray that we would be a committed bunch of men and women to whatever that home is that we would give ourselves to that. Lord God, we pray by grace that you would cause us to be knitted together more and more as your body in this place that expresses something of your love and grace to one another but also to the world around. Lord Jesus, and I pray as followers of you that we live with our eyes on a future home, that we look at everything in this world as just temporary. It's just here for a moment our possessions, our our families, our relationships, as wonderful as they can be, they are just momentary in the light of eternity. Lord Jesus, and we live for a future home, a future kingdom, a future pace. And Lord, we thank you for that future that is guaranteed, that one day we'll be a place with you forever, and there'll be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears, and the old order will have gone And it'll be a place of peace and a place of refuge and a place of justice and a place of unity. And above all, it'll be a place where you are. And Lord God, we say we love you and we praise you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.